I'm Dr. Nathaniel Chin, and you're listening to Dementia Matters, a podcast about Alzheimer's disease. Dementia Matters is a production of the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. Our goal is to educate listeners on the latest news in Alzheimer's disease research and caregiver strategies. Thanks for joining us. My guest today in Dementia Matters is Dr. Kimberly Mueller, an assistant professor in the Department of Communication Sciences and Disorders at UW-Madison. She received her master's degree in speech-language pathology at Columbia University and worked clinically as a speech-language pathologist with children and adults in New York City for nine years before moving to Madison in 2005. She started working in research at the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Institute in 2006 and earned her PhD in 2017 in communication disorders with a focus in preclinical Alzheimer's disease. Dr. Mueller's research is focused on how and when speech changes during the course of aging, ways to detect these changes, and possible interventions. Today, she's here to talk to us about another one of her areas of research interest, and that is how cognitive and social engagement affect brain health. Welcome, Dr. Mueller, to Dementia Matters. Thank you very much for having me. To start, can you clarify for us what we mean by cognitively stimulating activity and social engagement? Yes. So cognitively stimulating activities are mentally engaging activities that challenge a person's ability to think. So I think the two key concepts there are engaging and challenging, you know. So that's what uh, is referred to as cognitive activity. And then social engagement um, refers to interactions with other people. And in particular, these interactions with other people should be enjoyable uh, for that person. Now, is all learning considered cognitively stimulating activity? I think that um, not all thinking is cognitively stimulating, but learning new things is cognitively stimulating. So learning uh, a new activity such as learning a new language, for example, or learning an instrument, or learning uh, a list of words for like a list of grocery items if you work on memorizing those and then go to the store and pick them up. Those kinds of learning, that is mentally stimulating and engaging. Now what studies have been done looking at cognitively stimulating activity and memory? So uh, there are so many studies that have been done to kind of look at what effect cognitively stimulating activities have on dementia risk in general, but then also on particular cognitive or memory and thinking skills, right? So there are two types of studies that we usually think about. One is more of an observational study where we look at a large group of people and follow them over time and ask them what kinds of cognitively stimulating activities have you done and then look at what their end result is in terms of dementia or cognitive decline. So that's one type is an observational study and then another type is kind of a clinical trial where we prescribe a cognitive activity intervention and uh, prescribe the time that they do it and 
uh, carefully, as carefully as possible, control those conditions and see what the outcome is in a more immediate sense. And so the first part, the observational studies are a lot more plentiful because they're a lot easier to do in general, where we can look at very large groups of people and um, kind of just see how the natural history of that person's life goes. And so, um, so many studies have looked at cognitive engagement and um, I'll tell you about a couple in particular um, showing this very thing that cognitively stimulating activities, people who engage in those more, um, have a reduced risk of dementia at the end of life. And so one in particular that I love to talk about is based on um, a religious order study or a nun study. And this study was done in 2002 by um, Wilson and colleagues. And this study looked at uh, nuns and priests who kind of lived in the same exact environment. So there were, the surroundings were the same. Um, a lot of things were the same. Diet might have been similar for that group. And um, asked questions about cognitively stimulating activities and um, did this kind of throughout the um, nuns and priests' lives. And those who reported doing more cognitively stimulating activities like reading, um, uh, playing games, those kinds of activities had a reduced risk of dementia up to 47% reduced risk of dementia later in life. So the it's really compelling, but you know, there are caveats in terms of interpreting that. So they might be doing other things too that we don't know about, right? Um, so that might be one caveat. Um, it also might be that they were, for example, exercising more. So it's really hard to separate out what contributed to that reduced risk, but there's some kind of association with cognitive activity. Um, other study that I can talk about is a twin study, and that too is very similar um, in terms of the degree of kind of control we might have. So the twins are genetically similar, so they're very interesting to study because if one twin has a different outcome um, and yet their genetic makeup is very similar, it might be due to an environmental factor, right? Like cognitively stimulating activity. And so um, this study by Carlson and colleagues in 2008 looked at two uh, male twins and one who ended up developing dementia and one twin who did not. So kind of a subset of these twins and found again that tw the twin who engaged in more cognitive activity had a 26% reduced risk of developing dementia than the twin who didn't report that cognitive activity. So kind of really interesting observational studies that we can draw on. Um, in terms of clinical trials where we kind of prescribe uh, an intervention, um, there are fewer than the observational studies, but uh, still, there is some compelling evidence to say that if we put people on a program of cognitive activity, they may improve in memory and thinking or at least stay the same over several years. 
So one example that I love is the Synapse Project, um, which was done in 2014. And this project I love because it um, the cognitive activities were um, photography classes, quilting classes, a combination of the two, or just pure social activity. And um, they kind of compared the groups, and uh, the groups that engaged in either the quilting or the photography had better memory scores at the end of the intervention than just the social activity group. So um, it was a very interesting study and um, very attractive because these are typically things that maybe older adults might want to do as opposed to sitting in front of a computer, say, and doing some kind of cognitive training activity. And I suspect that not all activity can have the same impact on our brains. And so an example would be learning a new language is probably more stimulating than reading a book. So is that would you say that there are certain degrees of cognitively stimulating activity? I think so. Um, the research is, again, hard to study those kinds of things. Um, what degree one activity has over another, and it might be also very individual. So one thing might be very difficult and challenging for one person and not for the other. Um, but I would say that active cognitive activity might have an edge over passive cognitive activity, such as um, passive would be like watching a TV show, for example. That would be passively engaging your brain, not a bad thing, but active is where you're kind of doing something to in order to learn it, whether it's mental repetition in your brain or your um, learning uh, a skill with your fingers like piano playing kind of this what we know from like teaching pedagogy is that doing sort of supplements just absorbing when we're learning new things and I'm really glad you use that example because a lot of my patients will say well I do watch TV which I don't promote in clinic but they're watching Jeopardy or Wheel of Fortune and so they're with other people and they're guessing along with the actual TV show. And so they feel like it's more engaging and it's more stimulating because it's not just sitting there watching a drama. Would you say that there's some rationale to that? Even if the evidence says there's there's not enough evidence, but does that make sense? I think it, it could, you know, I think it, again, it's very individual. Um, it still might be a passive kind of activity, but if you are anything like the way my grandmother used to be and you're yelling at the TV screen, then I think um, maybe it is a little more active, you know, but um, I think it just depends on that person. But um, I think what you're recommending to your patients is probably reasonable. (laughs) And what about brain games like puzzles, Sudoku, crosswords? Would you consider those cognitively stimulating? Absolutely, uh, unless you know the person is an aficionado on one of those things, and it's almost um, rote to be able to fill one of those out, and it's not stimulating for that particular person. Uh, so again, it's an individual uh, effort engagement kind of 
activity that we're looking at. And it's that challenging factor. Yeah. It really has to push your brain. Yeah. Now, these days there are online websites that are designed specifically for, quote, cognitive training or cognitive engagement. But does the science actually back any of these sort of websites or online resources? So I think it's a, such a wonderful question and one that I get very frequently. Um, and so I think that you know some of these programs um, have some research that backs their use in certain populations. So one example is um, a program that's called Brain HQ. And this is by Posit Science. And this one um, has had the most sort of press about the research behind it um, in especially a trial called ACTIVE, which was looking at um, uh, typically aging adults. And they sort of put them on a regimen of this computerized training program. But they also did other activities besides the uh, computerized training and um, these adults reported kind of better activities of daily living 10 years later and that study was publicized a lot in the media um, and that website in particular has uh, a link to look at all the different research studies behind it but generally what we see is that people tend to get better on the actual computer task but that there's not a lot of evidence to say that that would transfer to an everyday activity of daily living, which is what we want. We want our brains to function better in our lives so that we enjoy life longer. And uh, the, the studies have not yet really proven that getting better at uh, a computerized program would actually translate to say driving a car and your reaction time getting better or that kind of thing. Um, and I, I also recommend when people ask about these things to look at the website carefully because you know a lot of these programs charge you money um, and they're expensive and sometimes a yearly recurring fee to use these programs. And so um, I often recommend that uh, you look at the website carefully and if anything says this program will prevent dementia or this program will cure Alzheimer's or will prevent Alzheimer's, I think you should shut down immediately and not um, invest, not look into getting that program because it's kind of a false claim to say those things and um, we don't really recommend that. And then the other thing is to look at the research behind it and kind of just try to be a, a consumer, um, kind of an educated consumer about it. So then going back to the social engagement piece, are there studies showing an association of being social with improved thinking abilities? Yes, and socialization is has been harder to study than cognitive activity um, because it's very difficult to isolate social activity. It's also difficult to do a clinical trial, let's say, on social activity because um, you don't want to isolate one group of people and not let them have social contact versus, you know, the other groups. So there's those kinds of inherent problems. Um, 
but also, yeah, social activity is cognitive, so it's very hard to study it by itself. But what we do think is, and studies have shown, is that um, social engagement leads to uh, happiness and improved well-being, and also dementia risk, um, a reduced dementia risk in people who report being more socially engaged. So, um, you know, again, it's hard to tease out what that is, whether it's the well-being or whether it's the cognitive engagement or what, but there is more and more compelling evidence to say that people need to be socially engaged uh, to have a better quality of life. And then you hinted at this before, so is there science showing that multiple aspects of whether it's socialization and cognitive engagement or socialization and physical activity, that those combinations may be more effective when it comes to our brain health than each item alone? So common sense would say that that would be true, in my opinion. So, um, but there's evidence now um, to say that kind of comprehensive or multi-domain interventions are effective. And maybe we don't have to tease apart, is it social or is it cognitive or is it physical? And instead, take what we know about those three things and put them all together. So for example, um, the Finnish geriatric study, which is referred to as the finger study, and this is by Dr. Kivi Pelto and her colleagues, that study um, does exactly this. And so it takes a large group of um, aging adults and puts them on a social activity intervention, a cognitive activity intervention, recommendations about diet, recommendations about physical activity and managing medications. And uh, that study has shown really positive effects uh, on these people who have engaged in that intervention, including um, kind of a maintenance of cognition or even an improvement in some cognitive skills. So it's very compelling, so much so that other studies like that are popping up, including here in the US. So it's definitely an area that needs to be explored. I would like to end by asking you an important question of what advice do you give to older people in your own life to help them maintain and strengthen their brain health? Yes, and I do get this question at family parties and things. Um, I often talk about the things that I just said today. So. Um, something that you enjoy and so if you don't enjoy sitting in front of the computer then don't do that and find something that you really always wanted to do or used to do and stop doing um, that will challenge your brain um, sometimes people ask um, you know should I retire I don't really want to um, and so then I might kind of encourage them 
to either not retire <laughs> um, because that's cognitively stimulating and socially engaging to stay at work or to think about maybe a different kind of work scenario and sort of an easing out of it. Um, so that's another question that I get. Um, but again, I usually say if it is both cognitively stimulating and socially engaging, you're going to get a double bang for your buck. And then if it has physical activity, something like um, Tai Chi maybe or dance, um, as a third component, then you're kind of triple arming yourself. So I usually give that kind of advice to my loved ones. Wonderful. Now we have it on for our podcast listeners. <laughs> so with that, I'd like to thank you for being on the show today, and we do hope to have you back in the future. Thank you so much. Dementia Matters is brought to you by the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. The Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center combines academic, clinical, and research expertise from the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health and the Geriatric Research Education and Clinical Center of the William S. Middleton Memorial Veterans Hospital in Madison, Wisconsin. It receives funding from private, university, state, and national sources, including a grant from the National Institutes of Health for Alzheimer's Disease Centers. This episode was produced by Rebecca Wazaleski and edited by Abishir Adin. Our musical jingle is Cases to Rest by Blue Dot Sessions. Check out our website at adrc.wisc.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. If you have any questions or comments, email us at dementiamatters at medicine.wisc.edu. Thanks for listening.